Bread comes in many different varieties, but the only bread that nourishes our souls, hearts, and lives is Jesus Christ. Bread of Life is sponsored by the Bread of Life Fellowship of Boise, Idaho. You can contact us by calling us at 208-331-4096. That number again is 208-331-4096. Join us now for the Bread of Life. Here's Joel Van Hoogen. We're looking into the life of faith in Moses from Hebrews chapter 11, and we're noting that Moses saw promise in the Jews as God's people when they were actually living as slaves and also practicing idolaters. So how was that possible? Well, his parents, by God's grace, were assigned to raise him, and they are introduced to us in Hebrews 11.23 as faithful. Their faith gave Moses a vision of hope for God's people. This is just where we'll start learning today lessons of faith from the life of Moses. Whatever were the disconnect with the majority of the Jewish slaves at that time, Moses saw in these slaves and in these idolaters a people of promise, a people of God. And as such, he saw in them something of the people of faith that God could raise up from them. I believe that it's most likely that he saw this glorious possibility through the beauty that was found in the faithfulness of his parents and observing their life and watching them. Now here's a lesson for you. A godly mother or father who live out their faith can go a long way to overcome the hypocritical examples that their children may be exposed to in others who profess the same faith but don't live it out. Our job is not to shield our children from the reality of those individuals who make easy professions but don't seem to live it out in their lives. Our job is to live out a life possessed by a deep abiding faith in God, in humble faithfulness to Him. And if we'll do that, if we'll just trust in Him and live in that way, this should be enough by God's grace to stir our children's hearts towards Him regardless of the poor examples found around them and in the lives of others. There is kind of an attitude that goes on in some Christian parents in which they want to shield their children from all the threats and all the bad examples around them. I once had a person in a church that I pastored tell me that you know, he was in the church so long as the other children of the church were a good example to his kids, but as soon as they weren't, they were leaving. I said, well, you might as well leave now because it's inevitable. It's coming down the pipe. It's going to happen. That's not required. That's not what's necessary for a child to learn what faith is. In fact, if you have that attitude, that attitude of superiority and that kind of attitude of pride actually will actually shield the children from even recognizing faith in your own life. No. You be faithful. You be humble. You serve Him. You yield your life to Him. You be true. Through your mistakes and through your errors, as you confess your own need and you live out your own faith, your own need of God's forgiveness, your own need of God's grace, and you live out that faith before your children, that usually is the way that God works to communicate His power and His grace. And so here was Moses living as a son of a great king of Pharaoh, living over slaves who were idolaters themselves, but raised by some of those slaves, two of them, who had true faith in God and trusted in Him. And all of a sudden, 
Moses is granted the ability to see in those slaves something of the possibility of a faithful life that made him desire to be with them instead of in Pharaoh's house. There's another reason why I think Moses saw these Jewish slaves as something more than what they might have appeared. That he saw them as the people of God and so he wanted to be completely identified with them so much that he was willing to suffer with them. It's this, number two, God worked in the faith he gave to Moses a vision for the people of God that reflected God's heart for them more than the reality Moses could see with his human eye. As he looked upon them and he studied them, Moses, by faith, began to see Israel as God saw them through his redemptive grace and his redemptive plan. He began to see them as a people under the blood of sacrifice. He began to see them as a people freed from the bondage of sin. He began to see them as a people who would be liberated to worship God as he dwelt among them. He saw something more than what was to be seen, but it was there. It was there. I don't know how to explain this to you. I don't know how to describe this to you. A man loves a woman. He falls in love with a woman. He chooses her for himself. He marries her. But his associates don't really share the same appreciation for her that he does. They find her rather physically frumpy and socially rude. They're just not impressed. But the man's eyes light up whenever he sees her. And he chooses her and he marries her. And well, what does it matter what the outsiders think? What does it matter what others think of her? It's not for us to go and tell some woman or some man once she has made her choice, once she's declared her vows or he's declared her vows, that we don't particularly share the same impression they have about their spouse. It's not for us to say. What does it matter what we think? What matters is what the man thinks. What matters is what the woman thinks. That's what's important. There are actually some people that we might find relatively unimpressive to not have the kind of character that we particularly appreciate in any way, but they have one saving or one grace about them that seems to salvage them and seems to salvage their image before us, and it's this. They have a wonderful spouse that loves them dearly and thinks the world of them, and that love seems to elevate them and make them to be something wonderful. Where am I getting at? Take your Bibles and go to Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 through 27. We're still speaking about how it was that Moses was able to see something wonderful in the nation of idolatrous slaves and instead see a people of God that he wanted to be among. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 through 27. Paul is actually speaking about the church, but he's using the example of the church and Christ's relationship with it as a guide to teach husbands how to address their own wives. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. All right. There's the visible local church, and if you go into any one of them and you stay there very long, you'll find out there are all kinds of warts and blemishes in them. They're not so impressive. They're not so attractive. But within this visible local church and all of them posted up throughout our city, there is this invisible church, people who have been wonderfully saved by the power of Jesus Christ, who have been set apart, who have been covered in the righteousness of Jesus, who have by Jesus been declared holy before him. 
we might have a hard time at times seeing past the warts and the blemishes and the failures and the problems and the issues found in the local church and in local churches. We might have a difficulty seeing through them what Christ sees in her. But she is before Him in splendor through His own redemptive power. She is His body of which He is the head. She is His glorious temple where His Holy Spirit resides in her and He with the Spirit or by the Spirit resides in her. He has bought her from the bondage of sin with His own precious blood. He has elected her to be His spotless bride. She is His chosen love. The glory of each and every local visible church, warts and all, is what Christ sees in the invisible church that lies within her and within them. What am I saying? Take a look around. We are a splendor to Jesus. We're a splendor to Him. God gave Moses the ability to see by faith what his redemption was holding out to the people of Israel. And even in their bondage, even in their idolatry, he saw something more than a nation of slaves practicing idolaters. He saw people intended for God and for God's glory. And Moses desired to be among them. God would exalt them one day, he knew, over the Egyptians whose honor would one day come crashing down. Here's a lesson for you. Faith draws us to the people of God, no matter how shabby they may seem at times. Faith draws us to identify with God's people and with those who may become His people, even when they do not appear at their best, and even when oftentimes they appear at their worst. We are to love them for Christ's sake. Here's another lesson. Faith turns us from being enamored with the powerful and the prominent people of our present age. When you have your faith in what God has and what God offers you, what God is going to accomplish, and when you put your faith completely in Him, you see that that faith begins to work within you, a deep identity with others that God is calling to Himself, even if they're not particularly attractive people on the outside. And at the same time, God will begin to give you a lack of attraction to those individuals who the world thinks are brilliant and great and beautiful and wonderful. And you'll begin to recognize that their beauty and their glory is fading and that their appeal will suddenly become quite unappealing to you because you see the end that they're going to be coming to. You take the weekend off and then you go back to wherever you're working and you gather around the cooler and you listen to the kind of conversations that might take place. And you might listen to the conversations that people have come up having read Us Magazine or People Magazine or have watched the latest reality television show or you know having watched the oh, tonight they're all going to be watching the oscars and they're going to be talking about the wonderful dresses that were worn how beautiful and talking about these people as if somehow they knew them and they wanted to be a part of their life i want you to listen to the conversations of a person who has been built up in the faith of jesus christ and is growing in that faith and is yearning to be a part of the life and know the life of god within them and what you'll find is you'll find that they're not likely piningly speaking about the latest news on the latest celebrity. As if somehow they want to be identified with that person. No. As a person grows in their faith, they begin to move away from the mirror where they used to sing into their comb hoping they could be a celebrity one day. They begin to value those individuals and in their conversation, sweep into the conversation the example of the lives of 
dear saints who others may have forgotten, but whose lives radiate the oncoming undeniable glory that God is sending upon his people. They begin to converse in hope for maybe a struggling brother or sister who is themselves caught up in the allurements of the materialistic fascinations of the age. They begin to speak about longing for that person to change so that they might put their trust and their faith in enduring things instead of fleeting and temporary things. You'll just find it. That a person who comes to faith in God will find that he's being drawn to the people of God, no matter how unseemly they might seem at times. And at the same time, he's being drawn away from a fascination to be identified with those who seem to be great in their age. Here's a second thing to observe from our story here. Observe here that for Moses, the fleeting pleasure of sin is not referring to some gross carnal indulgence. It's not saying that we might use this ourselves to you know, call people away from engaging in some activity where they're found finding some overwhelming pleasure that we know is harmful for them. But that's not what it's really referring to here. It's simply referring to a choice that Moses faced. Moses faced a choice to remain identified in the comforts and pleasures of Egypt or of going out to identify with God in the suffering of his people. And if Moses had decided that he would just remain in the comforts of Egypt instead of going out to suffer with God's people, it would have been sin. If he decided, you know, I'm just going to identify and live in this place of opulence where people think of me as something wonderful, or I'm going to step out and say, no, my value and my worth is not found by what the world thinks of me. But what God has declared to be true of me, well, it would have been sin. It's interesting, if you read the book of James, one of the major sins that James comes against when he's writing to the Hebrew people is the favoritism they showed to people of power and people of wealth. Thanks for joining us at the Bread of Life, a ministry of the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. For a copy of this broadcast, just call us at 208-331-4096. Until the next time, May the Lord bless you 